Hello, friend. I am coming to you from the absurd hour of 4.30 in the morning because I, for whatever reason, am wired and I figured that I might as well use my chaotic energy for good. Perk of doing this at 4.30 is that it is quiet and also recording these intros and outros typically tire me out, so hoping it has that effect. So an often glossed over downside of being a multi-passionate individual with a lot of adventure activity hobbies is that a lot of said hobbies happen at night, which on paper sounds great, especially if you're a night owl like myself. However, I have noticed that it has made my schedule between projects completely erratic, which is probably one reason that I am awake right now, because I found that since my schedule revolves around these activities and I'm prioritizing them, and they usually don't start till about 7 p.m., that I don't really wake up until I've done the activities, even though these activities are physically taxing and they are theoretically supposed to tire one out. So the pattern I've noticed is that I'm groggy-ish during the day, I'm functioning, I'm productive, I'm getting things done, but I really get awake and feel energized after I go to these classes. So the most regular one is Aikido, and then after that I usually go to the gym and do a short weightlifting session, and then I come home and stretch, or I go to tumbling and then parkour immediately after, and then come home and again stretch, or like today or I guess yesterday, what I did was I went to Aikido and then uh, went with a friend to rock climbing just in a gym and again came home and stretched. And I was really tired after the rock climbing today and I've been tired after these other classes, but for whatever reason, I'm just so much more awake and alive and aligned with myself after having done those things, which I think is great. But it is challenging when you fall prey to these patterns because I prioritize the night activities, they go on late one night, and then I sleep in however long I need to because at the moment I'm between projects, so I don't have to get up at a certain time usually. But I wake up when I wake up and then my schedule is just shifted X many hours later for the next day. So I skip breakfast. I'm not hungry for lunch until maybe three o'clock. And so I eat breakfast or lunch at three o'clock and then I should have dinner before Aikido or before my adventure activities. So like around 5.30 or 6. But if I just ate at three o'clock, then I'm not going to be hungry at 5.30 or 6. So then I just wait until I get home and I've stretched. So that puts me eating dinner at like midnight or 11 p.m., which in itself isn't a necessarily bad thing. It's just after I've eaten and because I have all of this energy, then I am just awake and I can't really wash, rinse, repeat that consistently. So anyway, that's how we got here. And all I can do in this funny and absurd moment of solitude at this strange hour in the morning is to laugh and also trust the process, which is actually very on topic because today's word is faith. And faith, to me, is largely defined by 
trust. Trusting in oneself, trusting in the environment, trusting in one's prior experience, all of that wrapped up in a nice little bow of faith. Up until pretty recently, I would say, I think I've always on some level associated the word faith in a religious context, probably because I was raised in the South, not in religion, but around it. And even though I know it's not technically one of the seven Christian virtues to combat the seven deadly sins, I feel like it has the same energy. So like same energy as, I don't know, diligence, temperance, charity, any of that stuff. Likewise, I also associate it strongly with very traditional Southern girl name. And even more specifically, I associate it with Quakers because in this play that I got to be a part of, this historical drama, there were a group of Quakers and each of the lady Quakers were named with these very virtuistic and classy names. So there was Faith, there was Charity, and I got to be Prudence a couple of times. So that was pretty fun. So that's where Faith immediately goes for me. However, recently I've been thinking and philosophizing more about faith as a concept because I wanted to open my mind to the many aspects that I was sure were in it on top of the religious sort of overtones. And what I found is that I think, (laughs) I think I've been practicing blind faith like my whole life actually. By that I mean I feel like I've been unaware of how faithful I am when it comes to certain pursuits or traits about myself and how I prefer to navigate the world around me. And I think that my strong trust in both myself and also the general mantra of things will work out have actually guided me quite a bit or encouraged me to pursue a lot of the things I've pursued, which have also, in a lot of cases, led to what I would call successes, either big or small. And I've been sort of going about this balance of just like putting myself out there and hoping for the best and not really thinking too much of it, like not being anxious about if things will work out because I know that something will work out or if the thing that I want doesn't work out, then I'll reshape it and sort of get the experience out of it that I need or can glean from it because that's just who I am as a person. I'm just going to be the sponge and absorb. And I've been doing some form of that my whole life, but I think sheer faith honestly is what gave me the courage to break away from the more corporate sort of gig that I had at the top of 2022 and really dive into chasing the other projects that I wanted to be a part of and also to start this podcast and this whole let me play endeavor because I had no real vision for any of it working out. And I had no assurances, in fact, zero assurances or any ties to the projects that I wanted to work on. But I did 
wiggle my way onto them and I had a great time doing them. So I'm grateful that I was faithful to what my mind and my heart were telling me. I'm also grateful that I believed in myself enough to take that leap of faith. And I'm also grateful that I was able to trust the process and to trust the play enough to get that ball rolling because it is why we are here, even if it is four in the morning. So I do think that a large part of faith is belief in yourself and trusting in the process. But in my case, I think a lot of the faith that I have currently, I actually had to build for myself and I didn't realize that it was something that I was constructing. Most of my faith would be sorted into a professional faith context, I would say. And all of that is basically just knowledge of how my industry works and what my role generally tends to be. And, you know, it's it's experience that comes with any sort of job. However, it's more nuanced, I would say, in gig-based industries because every project runs a little bit differently. One company won't have the same workflow as another and one studio won't have the same workflow as another. So you sort of get in and then you learn what the vibe is for one project and then you do that vibe for the duration of the project and then you leave and then you hope for another one. So it's very ephemeral, which I very much enjoy, but you do get to have a lot of different experiences and I think that's because I am observational and I have been fortunate to have varied experiences that I was subconsciously building this understanding of the craft. And I have been involved in enough of it to know that when one gig ends, another one will be there because there's a lot happening right now, which is great. And so every time I've gotten a gig, learned the gig, worked the gig, made friends with people at the gig, and then wrapped, I guess I had good faith that if I did well, they would plant seeds for those people or that sort of project to help me out again further down the line. They would continue hiring me later, or they would pass my name along because we often mix and mingle. Or if I put my name down on this database, then it'll resurface three years later, which has happened. So you just never know. You just have to sort of cast a wide net. All of that to say, I guess practicing professional faith is what I've been doing basically since I've graduated. And when I reflect on my path so far, I can see that I have had a lot of professional faith. And it's amazing, honestly, for me to look back and see how precisely strung together everything has been because it's it's been very fragile. But if I had known how fragile and dependent I would have been on each gig, on each project at the time, I think I would have been a lot more nervous and anxious about like saying the right thing, exactly the right thing, or doing exactly the right thing, or maybe I would have over-communicated, or I would have messed something up, or been too anxious. But because I didn't know any of that, there was no anticipatory actions that I needed to take because I I didn't know what the stakes were in any of these jobs. And I continue not to know what lies ahead of me, which I prefer. I just have to continue to plant the seeds and hope that some of them grow. 
and just be grateful for the things that come my way. So I think that I'm doing a good job in that realm, but now I would love to grow my faith in other areas of my life. So right now I'm very focused on the more somatic elements. So all of my active play, my adventure activities, and my training, I very much enjoyed getting to go to my structured classes regularly throughout the week. So Aikido, tumbling, and parkour and Irish dance. And I'm finally starting to see improvements in a lot of these areas where my teachers and instructors and senseis are, you know, commenting me and recognizing me for my efforts and they're seeing my growth, which is great because I have often felt a lot of shame taking up these spaces. So I would love to continue going down that path and getting stronger and, you know, just keep building that trust in myself that I will literally catch myself if I fall. Once I've sort of got a routine or a pattern for the somatic faith practice, I think the next area would be more social faith because it's been hard for me to just immediately trust people and I've often kept things more close to the chest, I would say. Instead of wearing my heart on my sleeve, which there's probably a healthy balance in between there somewhere, but that's another question for another day, not at four in the morning. And in addition to that, it would probably make me a little more well-rounded if I explored some of the more emotional or spiritual sides of faith for myself too. It was a cool revelation that I do interact with the world faithfully in a faithful way. And I think that the tool that I use to do this is my intuition. So basically just my gut feeling about whatever opportunity presents itself. And sometimes I have gut feelings and sometimes I don't, or sometimes the answers to questions are unclear, but I do feel like my intuition is pretty strong. And of the times where I've really listened to my intuition or I did get a really strong sensation, yay or nay, I can't say that it's led me astray. Someone else who has a very strong intuition is my good friend, Jay Davidson, who you might remember from season one, episode seven, lucky number seven, again, growth. So Jay and I have been friends for a few years now, and we've actually gotten to have a whole bunch of growing experiences together, which is why I wanted to chat with her first about that topic because we've both seen a lot of growth in the world around us, but also in each other. And we've also gotten to go on a lot of adventures together and have also gotten to create a couple projects together. And I hope we can do more of both. But in this episode, I wanted to talk to Jay specifically about Faith because she has all of the qualities that I can see of what a faithful person should be. She has a strong and, from what I can tell, a healthy and solid relationship with her religion regarding faith. She also very strongly trusts the people that she's around and the friends that she makes, and she's able to make friends wherever she goes. Like I mentioned before, she also has a very strong intuition, which I consider an aspect of faith, or at least a tool to build trust. 
And as you might remember, she is also a very loyal Gryffindor and holds the belief that if she gives lovingly to the people around her, and if she believes in these people and in these projects, that they will grow. So it was only natural that I, being essentially the opposite in all of those categories, except for strong intuition, decided that I should ask her a few questions about faith because I was a little skeptical. I will say that I'm glad that I did practice a bit of skepticism in this conversation because it did take us to some very cool places, I think, and it was just fun learning about sort of Jay's appreciation for faith as a well-rounded topic, and it opened just a teeny window or crack into places with maybe more magic for me to explore. We are still very much leaning into the multiverse aesthetic of this season, so go ahead and wind your clocks back to September of 2022 so you can tune in to the episode. And to set the scene even further, you can picture Jay and I sitting in her loft, warehousey, cool apartment that she had at the time, being carefully and astutely observed by her just a couple month old baby Auburn, who does make a couple of little cameos in this podcast. We recorded this episode just a couple of weeks before we wound up taking a trip to New York City together. She for work, me because she asked me to go. And to be honest, I was pretty hesitant about going on this trip with Jay, not because I didn't want to travel with her. I mean, we'd already gone abroad at that point, but because I had financial stresses and then I had already planned a trip to New York and so I was counting on that to be my big thing of the year. So there was this back and forth and back and forth. And then finally on this day, our recording day, I decided that I I should go. I should take a chance and, and see. And I'll save that story for another day. But I am so glad that I went on that trip. And I'm so grateful for the experiences that I had on it. And so I think it works wonders to have a little faith. All right, so by now, I think you should have everything calibrated to tap back into September of 2022. So when you're ready, go ahead and swing on it and take a leap of faith. Hello again, Jay. Hello, Sir Isley. Season two? Season two, yeah. Oh my We're God. in the middle of it. I'm a repeat guest and I feel so honored. You are. Yeah, you're going to be, for any of our listeners that are familiar with the Super Mario Sunshine game, you're going to be my episode seven for oh, each one. And Wow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever played that version of Mario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because they go... So th- it, there's like a map 
of uh, each like location that you can go to on the island with Mario. And each location has um, eight or nine episodes in it. And episode seven in each one is, uh, it's not exactly the same, but it's like the same premise for each one where there's like a shadow Mario and you have to catch him. So you're going to be my episode seven, except you're going to be. Well, that's, I (laughs) I don't think so. I'm a Lady Sarah, so. (laughs) That's true. That's true. And you're almost a Virgo. That's also true. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't think so. I like to think of you with a lot of light and not a lot of shadow. Ooh. That's what my father-in-law says, but I don't think my father agrees, but it's okay. <laughs> Let's move away from awkward joking about family. What okay, if, great. Well, are you ready? <laughs> I'm totally ready. Um, so, like last time, you requested not to know your word beforehand. Yes. So, um, we are going to externally process that together, which yes. I'm very excited about. And I'm actually super excited to talk with you about this word specifically because it's something that you have a lot of experience with and I have no experience with. If it does it start with an M? No. Okay. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. All right. No. Um this word is faith. Oh, this is a surprise. I thought you were gonna be like motherhood. Yes. That would be very on the nose. Um, I thought, yes, but you said a lot of experience. So I was like looking at my baby. Thinking, right. As she is it, rocking she's to sleep in her Gryffindor Yeah, let's talk about faith. Okay, yeah. great. Well, I thought that you would be the perfect person to yeah. chat with us about because you. it seems you seem to have a really like healthy and sort of beautiful relationship with oh. it. Wow. At least from my outside perspective. And I, it's not that I don't have a relationship with sort of like a secular Mm. understanding of faith. It's just, I would like to understand what someone like yourself sees in it that I have not experienced. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to start off, I was curious if you could tell me a little bit about how you feel. Like how much, how deeply ingrained you think your faith is in you, either secular or non-secular, just all of it. Um, great. That's a really thought-provoking question. Um, so the thing about faith, and I'll talk about the faith that I practice. So I practice, I guess, a liberal, loose form of Christianity. Um, I would say it's pretty life defining for me Mm. now i don't know if everyone on the outside would agree with that because i didn't marry someone of my faith but the interesting thing that you brought this up this week especially is that we're actually just texted the relatives uh yesterday about planning a baptism for my daughter oh wow so that's kind of cool because even though um my husband's not a christian it was a big deal in our marriage for me to say okay i want to raise my daughter in this faith and that's was a huge part of like you know you make these deal breakers when you're dating that was kind of a deal breaker before we got married so Mm -hmm. we had a kid it wasn't like a wasn't going to be a surprise that this is the plan Mm -hmm. um as far as christianity go i think it's complicated for a lot of reasons because you grow up in a place like the south where protestant christianity is just kind of like in the water And so to be following that faith, you're always actually at the tension point between faith and culture, because the culture is 
this culture, but the culture itself is not actually necessarily indicative of the values of the faith that you actually find. And then scripture, and then you have to be like, well, how does that work with like the modern world? Because obviously these things were written thousands of years ago. And some of that you have to be like, is this make sense? Mm. Or do I just try to find the spirit of what this was implying and then adapt it? Mm. Um, but for me, faith in general is more the spiritual connection I feel when I pray to God um, and express the Christian faith and praying what we would say, praying with the Holy Spirit to God or Jesus and trying to get direction in life. And I've had like a lot of times where that feeling of God, the presence of God has directed me through major things in my life. It, I felt this presence when I was 18 and I was very bright, um, good grades, all that. And I just was like struggling where to go to college. And I felt God telling me to go to the University of Tennessee, which I'm from Knoxville. So I was like, why? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like the most boring option. Why? And I, I even have friends be like, you were really smart. Why are you going to UT? That's really dumb. Um, I mean, and looking back on it, I'm super glad I went because I met some of my closest friends that I'm still friends with this to this day. Anyway, I got a free ride. I got to live in a church, which was a wildly powerful experience and taught me a lot of responsibility. I got to go to South America, stay there. Um, I Because I was still in Knoxville, I had the emotional energy to do wild things like live in India for a semester and then following graduation, live in South America for, for a semester. And then I you know, could go to grad school because undergrad was free so it makes sense you know i've heard a pastor say that sometimes like understanding this stuff is kind of in the rear of mirror you know but the faith part is like you submit yourself and i can tell you countless stories of other people who've done this you submit yourself to this feeling of god and you say what am i going to do and then you feel this peaceful energy calm and loving energy directing you to a path. Um, and it was the same energy that directed me to Atlanta, even though that didn't make sense for a long time. <laughs> and it was the same energy that directed me towards my husband, um, even though some people would be like, what? Why are you marrying this guy, non-Christian? And I'd be like, well, I actually felt like this is what I was called to do, is marry this man. And then those feelings are so peaceful and kind and loving because a lot of people will say well a lot of people of faith will just follow their own desires and i can understand why on the outside you would say that but if you've had that experience and when you hear other people talking about that experience you can understand that it's far more complicated than that it's this surrender of your desire to feel this energy this peace this joy this love and be open to the direction of it and then when you are in the time of trial, um, which every elect decision I think brings trial, I think the difference is when you went the direction you felt the energy and peace and love for, then you go back and you say to God, like, you can probably be like, what the fuck? God? I have no idea what you directed me here. But you also <laughs> remember that this is the peace and energy and love directed you to this choice. And you can hold on to that 
um, either to reclaim it in the feeling in the moment to help you get through the trial, or you can let it go. Like maybe you don't can't reclaim it in the moment, but you remember the feeling. And then the mental memory of it helps you say, okay, well, like even if Naman and I are butting heads, well, I felt like God made, God led me to this man. Like it's going to be okay. Or like I was led to this city or I was led to this college. So like, even though I'm not understanding why it's okay. And then I don't feel like faith is actually, I feel like the evidence actually, actually is the feeling and people are like, well, that's your heart or whatever. And you're like, but what else do you know in life? Because like, if you feel this external presence filling you with love and peace to go a certain direction, well, that's the best evidence that you could ever possibly need for any major choice. That's so much better than like, now and I are thinking about doing a crossroads choice now. And now I'm just doing the spreadsheet and all of that. And, I, and I, for me, it's like, their life is so complicated and there's so much unknown, good and bad. That like that, not saying you shouldn't do that, but thinking that you're going to make a choice on paper and that's the only factor I think is a little foolish. Mm. Anyway, that was my spiel. Mm. Well, already I feel a little bit more enlightened. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Just from getting an understanding of what, like maybe the types of things that you're feeling and what you're relying on. Um, with your practicing or like intrinsic expression of faith in itself, it sounds to me like um, a sort of just guidance that you can always rely on and fall back on. But I'm curious to know one, if that's the case uh, in your experience. And then two, if that's, if it's always been there for you, like always this like feeling of, um, like light and warmth and love and peace, like all of those beautiful things. Um, or if you had to like figure out how to find that, like, have you always had this sort of guidance or intuition or voice, um, guiding you along the way to make decisions? Um, well, I think this is a complex conversation. (laughs) It is. Okay. So I grew up in the Lutheran church so I think when you grow up in a church environment, because I'm correcting me if they're wrong, you grew up in a secular environment. Is that yes, we so? were. It was interesting because we were we were around um, a lot of churches and religion, and um, uh, we are, I we actually spent a decent time like in churches and at um, services and mm-hmm. things, just but from a music. Oh, output so but not really from um like a practicing like a religion practicing gotcha, standpoint gotcha. i think when you grow up in the church you do get a sense of values that god is real you can pray and talk to god and you learn values like i think that are you know not dissimilar to other religions or the secular world um that stealing you know don't adultery all that stuff um i do think there are certain beautiful things in the christian faith like i grew up lutheran which is like this idea of grace and faith alone the idea that like you don't have to prove yourself to be accepted by god is kind of a thing that i grew up with but it was kind of a very intellectual thing so even though i felt like 
some moments throughout my life, even as a small child of like, oh, there's a presence and there's an affinity. And like, even that feeling even happened when I was a kid, like during nap time, like or whatever, <laughs> like daycare, because I grew up in a Christian daycare too. Like, I think it, you know, took off in high school because I was actually, there's a period of time where, you know, if you look at the Bible as everything is true and then someone comes along and then they show you the value of another faith or they point out holes in your own faith, then your whole wall of faith falls down. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, my, in ninth grade, my whole wall of faith kind of fell down because it was built on this idea of, well, everything had this has to be true and other religions are garbage because you do kind of have to grow up in that to be a Christian, the way they teach it. And then you're like, okay, and then other people are religions and they get something meaningful out of this. Um, so what I did is I made a documentary when I was 16 in this television class, which to the ire of my very religious teacher, uh, who was not happy about this. And I was, it was not very good because I had poles coming out of people's heads and trash cans in the frame. I didn't know but like <laughs> Peak I, cinema. Yeah, peak cinema. But the radical thing, and I actually look back on it and I'm like, shit, I can't believe I did that. Like, was I just in a Christian high school? Not, I was in public high school, but pretty much everyone's Christian. Basically, just interviewed all of these people. Um, and one of them was my close friends who's now close friends being married in two weeks. Um you know, I interviewed her about Hinduism. I interviewed people about Judaism. I interviewed people about this and Wiccanism and just like this idea that all roads lead to Rome kind of thing. So I was really kind of this agnostic. I didn't talk about being agnostic. So it's pretty bold for a 16 year old in the South. In, yeah. It sounds like a lot of 2000s. ground to cover. I just curiosity of like, what is this thing? And then, um, you know, and then I did meet like a Christian who wouldn't be interviewed, but she invited me to her church. And I just remember something about that person. And I won't go into too much detail about it. Um, but like something about that person and our brief friendship just introduced me to this radical feeling of the Holy spirit, which you read about in the kind of read about the Bible kind of say every week, like I believe in God, the father, God, you know, son and the Holy spirit, you know, whatever. And then you're like, and then this feeling of like walking to church with her, it was like walking into like a thin place. Um, and a thin place is kind of what like the Gaelic um, Celtic Christians talk about, like where heaven and earth just meet. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, what is this? Like, and you read about it in the Bible, that people in the Bible experience these things, like with Moses um the idea of the burning bush and yeah joe rogan will tell you he's on mushroom sure um but <laughs> like that you just take off your shoes you're on holy ground like this feeling of like god is real holy shit and then like then there's this but i was still kind of like i don't know that actually ended up being a not a healthy situation that friendship not end up healthy because even though she was a beautiful Christian in a lot of ways. She she kind of drank the Kool-Aid on some really toxic bullshit that is in the church. Um, so just then that friendship didn't work out, but that spiritual connection with that person was life-changing. And so then, like, um, when I was a senior, I kind of was like, I kind of didn't really jump into the faith. And then when I was a senior, I kind of was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then... 
there, I was like, okay, I'm going to become a Christian. And then I tried to do what I thought being a Christian would be, which is like, I did peer tutoring, you know, try to do these acts that I saw the more extreme Christians in school do. Mm. And then I had this feeling when I was in this peer tutoring classroom that Lent was coming up and I needed to do something radical for Lent. So I felt this feeling that I need to walk to school. So my school was seven and a half miles away from my parents' house. I don't know why we were zoned there. We're not, my family's not zoned there anymore, but we were zoned there. So for Lent, I walked, I got up at 5 a.m. and I walked to school every day for Lent. And you just felt like this is what you needed to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. And then I prayed most of that time. And and one of the things I did when I prayed, like there's always like set prayers that you have in church and there's something wrong with those prayers. But no one like taught me, I kind of just taught myself. I don't know if I taught myself. I don't, God maybe taught me that you just pray your feelings, which in hindsight, that's all over the Old Testament. But like, you just tell God like all the things that you're like so mad about. And I just was like talking to God while walking to be like, angry and upset and just talked out loud and like really laid everything out there over and over again in these two and a half hour walks. And then next thing I knew for the like two months, I just was like on fire with Jesus. And it sounds cheesy when I say it like that, but I just remember feeling this spiritual energy so intensely all day long. And I was like, like I could, I would let God I let God do everything. I let God tell me where to go, walk down the hallway, all this stuff. And then all these like minor healings, I guess for the high school drama version of it, would happen. <laughs> and I remember talking to one of my really good friends. Her name is Mary Beth. Um, she ever listens to this podcast, I can send her a link. She, uh, and I, would t- I was talking to her about it and I barely knew her at the time. And, and then I was like, and she was like, oh, that's actually called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Cause she was a Pentecostal. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, read this. That's like something with the early Christians have to feel. And I'm like, holy shit. Okay, cool. And <laughs> new know, level unlocked. Yeah. And that's when I made a decision to go to UT that period of time. But it was like, so that was huge. So I won't, so that was like intense. Now I will say like my faith journey has always been like that. Um, a really good priest in college told me that, my college priest, Chris Jace, if you listen to this, he told me once, like, your life with God is like your life. Because he was married, and I knew his wife, and she's a wonderful lady. Um, and he said, your life with God is like your life with your spouse. Like, there's sometimes you're just more in love with God than you are at others, or sometimes you're more in love with your spouse than others. Like, it's not like they're really, it's just like the relationship goes in and out like an accordion. Mm. Um, so that, that was pretty intense. That was the most intense I've ever um, experienced with faith and that was a pretty extreme experience and then there then you just go through life like i learned as much as i could about christianity in college lived in the church with every church service well i kind of became a yeah but i kind of became the person that drank the toxic kool-aid in college right so like um there are things that i totally bought into that were looking back on just toxic shit because you're wanting god so desperately you're going to go to these places because you're like well god's at these churches so i must go and you absorb everything and next thing you know you just believe a lot of unhealthy garbage oh is it sort of like chasing a high no it's like 
God is good, right? Yeah. It's like the Holy Spirit, God is good, loving people, wisdom, kindness, compassion. And I would do everything I could. Like God, sometimes people would come up to me randomly in dangerous parts of Knoxville and say, I feel, I, I, I feel like I can trust you. Can you please help me? And I would talk to God and be like, I'm terrified. What do I do? And God would be like, go help them. And I would drive them around town. All of this crazy shit the Bible tells you to do about helping the poor, you can only, not that you can't do it, but it's easier to do it when you feel that joy and that love. Mm-hmm. And that is why, as much as I love Joe Rogan, I don't think the Bible was inspired by psychedelics. I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> Also, I've had faith visions where things come true that weren't inspired by psychedelics. Side note, I have done psychedelics. I do think they're educational and therapeutic. But (laughs) I don't think you need them to have these intense spiritual experiences that Rogan talks about. Mm -hmm. The thing that's most interesting to me, I think, is this this two-way sort of like communication And the reliance on that for decision-making. Because it was really interesting to me to hear you saying I was, like, on cloud nine and letting letting God, like, pick which direction I walk in the hallway and, you know, like, making all these decisions. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on what that communication, like, feels like or what that experience is or what the voice is like any sensation it's just like pure light inside of you and it sounds like it's weird to say but i think that most humans live off this cycle of me myself included i'm not going to grandize myself um this cycle of fear and pride Mm. i think the baseline majority of people live off fear and pride And when you trust God, all of a sudden you're free um, from fear and pride. And then you just feel joy. So I think it's that feeling of, you know, when you go hiking and you feel that wonder, that high of hiking and being one with nature, or you watch a beautiful piece of art. And you're just like, the way you feel when you watch everything all at once. Yeah. <laughs> like a moved it's or smooth, like a longing. Spirit connection. When you enjoy something, you have this one-on-one relationship with it. And then all of a sudden, it's just you and this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a great conversation. Mm. Um, you do that. So, but it's like that. But it's like that feeling magnified and taking over your total heart and then guiding you to live in that feeling and making choices from that feeling. Hmm. Now the hard part is to really live like that, um, to really surrender fear and pride really means that you walk into situations where this they're not that great like for example um just give you it's probably an easier example is when i was 22 23 i lived in south america and i worked with this homeless ministry and when you live in this love with people who are homeless your heart is breaking because they're not compartmentalized you know you usually use fear to get away from suffering 
are you pride to look down on slippery, right? It's how we, but when you surrender fear and pride, then you, you just have connection. Hmm. And then your heart breaks. And then you want to do something. And the ministry I was working with at the time was pretty corrupt. The owners, which I'm not saying they don't care about the poor because I think people are complex. They were kind of taking advantage of the Americans and just like um, embezzling the money that we were providing. So at 22, 23, my first taste of being in this toxic situation that you've seen me deal with in other examples, then I had to go and shut down a ministry. And I'm 23 years old and I did had the courage to do things that like, you know, men in their 30s and 40s wouldn't do because they didn't when they wouldn't turn their blind eye because they couldn't accept that this toxic situation was happening, even though they were warned by other 23-year-olds that this is what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that makes you wounded and burnt out. Because um, you're like, okay, God, like, how did you let these people take a hold of this ministry? And now these, some of these people might be homeless forever because we're not, we can't build this center to save them. And then you just have that type of grief of why are you not, why are, why are, why are things, why suffering exists? Mm. And when you're more sensitive to this love, you're more wounded by things like suffering. Um, and then you kind of go to God and you're like, well, fuck you, bro. I don't want to do this dance with you right now. And sometimes it's, I don't want to do this dance with you. Seasons last a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes there is a thing in the Bible that's called the dark night of your soul where God takes away the high of himself to like still see if you can do the things that you're asked to do without the spirit high, right? Like, and to see, okay, if you are not full of love and light all the time, can you still help the poor? Can you still tell the truth? Can you still do all these things Um, as a way of like growing as a person, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's actually part of the Christian journey too is, and I only really talk about Christianity. I've studied other religions, but I don't think I can speak on the inside of other religions. So there is like a thing of like, can I still do the right thing even when that externally costs me something? Or can I still do the right thing where I don't feel all this love and light all the time? And there are times where you do it and then you're bitter about it because you're just like, wow, that sucked. And then you kind of just retreat <laughs> from God a little bit. And there are times in my life where I've definitely have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, but then there's other times where it's more just moderate and you feel it for me. If I go to church or I watch church on YouTube or I pray, I can, you know, get it back in. Um, like it's almost like sometimes you just have this, you yourself are a colander and the love and light goes through you and it pours out into you. And if you're doing it correctly, it's pouring out into other people. Hmm. But if you're not doing it correctly, it just pours out and then you're empty. But the idea would be you would be embracing it to pour out into other people. And then sometimes if you're not pouring out into other people, it's like, what is this for? Because the love and light isn't just for you. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, isn't just for Jay Davidson. It's to have it to share with Sarah Isley or to my daughter or to my husband or to my friends. Mm. You know? I've got a lot of like stained glass imagery in my head right now. I think that's why they make that because that mm-hmm. is kind of like that is a perfect visual for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. That's really interesting. So when you're in these either like the dark nights of the soul or you're being challenged and confronted or your faith is being tested, perhaps, um, how do you know or how have you known what the right thing or the best next step is? Like, what is that confirmation of decision like? Well, I think at the end of the day, like, it goes back to doing the same things that everyone knows is right. Like, not stealing, not lying, not bearing false witness, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think that people don't realize how much we participate in these things that are bad, but we would, like, if you were to say to an average person, like, it's really bad to, like, spread rumors about people. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, yeah, of course. But then when you're in a workplace situation, how many times do people just get frustrated at someone at work and then they hear something and they're like, well, blah, 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 this is thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, do you even verify that they do this thing? Yeah, workplaces aren't exactly the vessel of love and light. No, it's not. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that those people realize that they're doing... I would say when I'm in that situation, I'm doing something work I'm spreading a rumor or like participating in that. Or other people are. I wouldn't even say that this was bad people, right? But it's that feeling of like, well, obviously, like you don't realize you're doing that thing, right? So the confirmation is always like, do you, we know what's right and wrong. And how do we do what's right anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You can intellectually parse it out. And you listen, sometimes I listen to Sam Harris, and even though he does no faith in religion at all, he has such a strong, intense understanding of morals that I'm like, if you just did what Sam Harris said, you would be doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't even do that, right? So I think in the test in the faith in God is like always asking myself, not always asking, but sometimes pausing and saying, am I living out of fear of pride? Am, am I, I, you know, I struggle with anger a lot. Like, what am I attacking? What am I offending? And then I try to do practices that help me get into the right frame of mind. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense because it's, it sounds to me like it's using the, humanitarian sort of building blocks that you already have like you know knowing that you don't want to in general like cause anybody harm like you would like to lead with kindness you would like to lead with all of these sort of virtues um using that as a basis of knowledge and then building up intuitively sort of maybe using like contextual information but then also knowing when you feel that like either moved feeling or just like some sort of heart space warming like that would be the the cherry on top perhaps oh yeah but it's like it's the whole bread right like, yeah it's christianity says you cannot live all bread alone um but every word of not the god not all of believe that because i don't think some of the stuff in the old testament you gotta go oh gosh <laughs> let me throw that away <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, 
I think the difference is like someone like Sam Harris is very moral. Mm. Um, and morality is great. But where I find myself turning back to Christianity is when uh, morality can only take you so far because what happens when people wrong you? And then when someone wrongs you, that feeling of betrayal, that feeling of anger, that feeling of vengefulness, deep, powerful human emotions, where do you go back with that because you can be moral still but then where do you go back with that like when you have profound woundings of the soul and then you need to forgive someone and then that's where i go back to my faith and like i need your help gods forgive this person because the anger and the hurt can be so toxic and seep into aspects of my life and that's where I think a lot of times where people do do wrong, good people do do shitty things at work or shitty things in their family. It's because someone really wronged them and they're in so much pain. And then their jealousy is there with people who are not, who they perceive as more luckier than them. And it just comes out, right? So then you have to say, okay, how do I take this feeling of grossness that I have of this person wronging me? It's taking something from me that can never be given back. And how do I trust one that there's this way that it can be used to make me a better person? And then two, that I could have the possibility to just forgive that person and just be like, okay. And then hope for that person's good. And to me, morality doesn't encompass that. That's where like the fine work of spirituality, fine work of Christianity are parts of Judaism, obviously Christianity, Judaism, those traditions help you deal with the deeper emotions of life. And then like the Psalms, everything in the Psalms really, the person's like wanting God to kill those people's kids. And you read that and you're like, man, the Old Testament's fucked up. But (laughs) when someone has really wronged you, I mean, really, really stolen something, tried to destroy parts of your life. You feel this anger. So if you can go and find this poetry where David wants to fuck some bitches up, and then you're like, wow, oh, I've actually had permission to feel insane anger in this safe space. And then I have this permission to release this anger in a safe way. So then I can go and go to these other parts of the Bible and say, okay, like, I'm going to pursue the path of justice, but hold on to Jesus so tight that it doesn't become revenge. Because they can look the exact same on the outside, but they're very different on the inside. And then you go, okay, God, like how, and then you hold on to that feeling, you hold on to these texts until the forgiveness for these other people come. And then the light comes back and it heals you again. Because morality can't do that. Morality may prevent you from taking unjust action to someone who's wronged you, but it's not going to make you love them. It'll never make you love them. And I found like that my faith, coming back to my faith, teaches you to forgive people and sometimes even want the best things for them. And sometimes the relationship can totally transform. Sometimes it doesn't, but you change. 
Um, praying for your enemy changes you. And it takes the power of your enemy away. Even if they have external power over you, they lose their internal power over you. And that's stuff that's in the Bible, and that's stuff that's in relig- that religion in particular that I'm like, wow, that's game changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they use, they're like, okay, you work. The faith part, so faith can be the connection part, faith can be the culture part, faith can be the rules part, faith can be the text part, but there's also the faith part of like, Okay, you say if I pray for my enemy, that should be a thing to do. Well, that doesn't make any fucking sense, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then now that I did it, I realize, oh, you liberated me from my enemy because I prayed for them. But on the surface, it comes off as like a weakness of not taking what's yours. Mm -hmm. But trying to take what's yours actually makes you a slave. A spiritual slave. Mm, Because you're trying to force because then you're letting this pain dictate you i see and then you feel like you have to get it back this thing that you lost versus this liberation on the inside of the loss or whatever um now thankfully i've not had any mega ones like there's this thing in memphis um during this week i don't even know this woman maybe because i know people who know her you know she was jogging at 4.30, and it was Eliza Fletcher. I saw that article, yeah. And I know people that know her, and I, and then she's, you know, I don't even think that, like, what happened to her was connected to her fact that she how was inheriting the fortune, you know, but it's like, I don't, I couldn't put myself in the shoes of her husband, right? Like, if someone did that to me, or someone did that to my, or someone to my spouse or my child, that would be really hard to have this conversation. But that might be the only thing that eventually liberates everyone. I don't know. I haven't had that happen to me on that level. But things less than that, I found that that has been useful. Mm. Mm. Well, it seems to be a good universal, I don't know if virtue is the right word, but just way to navigate life in wanting the best for everyone as a human but that can be really tough because that's not that's not necessarily how everybody goes about their lives as we both know no it's not every how a lot of christians go about their life which is i think what's challenging about christianity is people you know participate in christianity and they believe in a lot of gross shit or because they have these churches that support you, know, you go to churches in georgia i went to a church in georgia they were actively praising donald trump as if he was going to liberate the next this man was this pastor who had severe daddy issues um and i say this because he mentioned the daddy issues of the sermon and then he talks about praying for trump and wanting trump to be holy and you're like trump just played you you know and then you're like in this church where like these people are almost thinking that Trump is going to be the next prophet of God. And you're like, where are you? What? This is insanity. Mm. And then you're like, where do you get? What? What are you out? Right? Because people, even with faith, mix up fear and pride. Mm. Faith. Mm. That you need a politician to save you. That's fear. Or that it's your guy. That's pride. Is it fear to 
need a physical representation of the faith, like a spiritual figure, do you think? I mean, I think it's like you always want to have, it's always good to have mentors of Mm -hmm. anything, right? Like a person that you think, like a pastor that's like wise and gives you good advice and but if you think that that person isn't anything other than a person and people say they think that person's a person, but people do put their pastors on pedestals. Right. Then sometimes because they are on the Because they're literally on the pedestal. <laughs> um, then it's dangerous because it's just a person. You know, one of the benefits I had working in the church in my early 20s um, is I just realized that. That pastors are people. And also, I went to college with people who later became pastors. So even if I thought they were nice people and I'm happy for them, they became that path. It's like, once I went to your peer and they later become a pastor, you're like, whatever. That's just whatever. That's just that guy. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps because the danger always is this person knows a way of anything. And, and then it's not true. Like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be a good person. They may be a good leader, but they're not more special than anyone else. Right. Well, that philosophy has kind of helped me just navigating, um, like, even professional, like, working environments, too. Like, there's always this big emphasis on, oh, well, this is the producer. This is the director. Yeah. And, like, and those are, like, really cool titles and everything. And they do mean a lot in the scope of that project or that movie. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to, like, bow on the ground and, like, kiss their hands or anything. <laughs> no, like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Like, they're just, they're people and I'm going to respect them. But I found that sort of taking them off of that metaphorical pedestal has actually just allowed me to, like, be more chill or just be more authentic to myself and operate. I don't know why people want to worship other people. Yeah. But they do. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fun thing is everybody loves Dolly Parton, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a fun person to joke about that everyone loves. But I think in general, people want to worship other another person. To think, and that's not, that's anyone. Like, North Korea, whatever. Mm-hmm. Why we have kings, why we have sultans. Like, we want to think that this person is everything. And I don't know why people want to do that. Yeah. It's uh, just from an energetic standpoint, it doesn't seem like a it would have a great return on investment for sure. <laughs> I think it's because it's fear and pride. Fear that mm. I need, I can't do it myself. And then pride that this is my guy. Right. And people right. feel with all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting distinction between... Fear and pride because, uh, and that was also why I was interested in talking with you about it because when I was brainstorming for this, um, those, I hadn't really thought about it in the context of those two words. Um, but now hearing you explaining it, not that it's only those two words, but that does seem to dictate a lot of people's actions and behaviors well i'm gonna give a shout out to tim keller because i don't think i did not come up with that mm. i'm not sure tim keller did but he's really good he's a great preacher of um new york 
Mm. So I want to say that I did not invent this philosophy. Yeah, he, uh, he, <laughs> yeah. you got that strain of light from his colander. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think he, maybe he's even getting that from the Apostle Paul, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. that would be what human beings run off of. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Um, if so, if you weren't raised with religion, or and you didn't find it, what do you think, just hypothetically, your understanding of faith would be? Um, I mean, I when I listen to Sam Harris, I kind of like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I would just be an atheist or an agnostic mm. because I'm just so hyper logical. Right. You are um, very logical. <laughs> so it is actually, you know, one of those things where like, had I not had these spiritual experiences, I've had, um, and I've had prophetic dreams where dreams become true kind of things like crazy, crazy shit you find in the Bible. Had I not had these crazy ass experiences, um, I don't think I would have a faith. I think I'd just be an agnostic. Because when I hear YouTubers say things like, I think I'm an atheist, but I mean, I kind of believe that God is possible, but I don't believe any religion has got it. I would be like, there's a logical part of me goes, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the experience of these crazy faith experiences for me have only come from Christianity. So that's where I've been like, okay, I'm parking my car in this spiritual garage. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think had I not had these experiences, I would, I would be, I'd just be an agnostic atheist. Right. Can you share one of your crazy religious experiences, like maybe one of your dreams that came true? Um, trying to think of one that is not too vulnerable. Yeah, they're pretty vulnerable. They're pretty vulnerable. Not, I would share with you as my friend, but not. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, that's fine. It's not because I haven't had them. It's just too. Yeah. 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 I can share one of a friend of mine that had, um, because I don't think it's so vulnerable. Um, I had this friend of mine who just completed congratulations, Marie Joy, um, with her husband, uh, Pacific Crest Trail. I want to give that shout out. Um, so her, she actually had a prophetic dream about the film, The Lay Edison. Oh, really? Yeah. So I feel like this is a safer one because I, it's not, she shared it with me and it wasn't so as personal as these private ones. But like basically when we we're making the Lydia's and one of our really good friends, uh, he, I won't name his name. He introduced us to work on this project and then he got, <laughs> I'm just talking. I'm in his I'll try. I'm talking to me. <laughs> Um, anyway, so he literally, so the story is he basically gets, he's in this toxic, he, I will say his name, he worked for Pinewood Forest. And I say this because there's a whole Buzzfeed article about Pinewood Forest and how they're racist. And he worked for that guy. And let me tell you, that guy was awful to him, withheld money from him for months, terrible, toxic job. He had to wait months to get paid and worked for free for months with this terrible contractor that BuzzFeed News wrote about as a racist, which I, knowing how he mistreated my friend who was white, wouldn't surprise me if that mistreatment carried over to other people. Um, so anyway, my friend 
lived in Pinewood Forest. One night, he and his other friends who they were staying with, who has to stay with because he's so poor, because they're withhold, they cheated him all this money. He did get it, but he was cheated for months, had to live for free with these people in the community who took him in. And like, he, they broke into the pool before it was thing to swim in the pool, but he felt so guilty about it. He wrote them an email telling them, which in hindsight, maybe not the best email to write. And then he gets fired and then he goes to New York after that. But the person he connected me with, Marie Joy, told me later, and my friend confirmed this, when she was praying, you know, he was telling about this opportunity, she literally had a dream where he wanted, he, she hung out with her mutual friend. He wanted her to meet, well, he was trying to take her to someone. And then when he took her to someone, he literally gets in the pool and then he gets taken away. And then he meets the person and the person that she meets um, in the dream, we they do like martial arts and they're battling each other, but they're better off at the end. And after we did the Lady Edison, she tells me this dream. And I was like, this person, our friend, literally jumped in the pool. And she goes, yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? And then she thinks that she dreamt about me uh, and that we did martial arts because we had so much tension in the beginning of our working relationship hmm. because... He left us in the middle of this project and she made assumptions about me that weren't true because out of fear, but because of the dream, it actually allowed her to keep going in the process to make the film, um, which is interesting. And so that is the experience where she dreamt that her friend would introduce to someone like me and also go in a pool. And then she, they were thinking so deeply about the pool. They were like, the pool is a symbol of this and this and this. Because <laughs> it wasn't like a neighborhood pool. It was like more like a fountain pool. Oh. And they were like, deeply, when they talked about it with each other before it happened, they were analyzing the pool of like this great metaphor for this. And you know, it was a literal effing pool. But like, <laughs> thing. so the thing is like, so we were better off from having the, you know, Jordan B. Pearson always talks about people to spar with. He talks about it in the context of marriage. But sometimes you need that in the context of people you work with, right? Mm-hmm. And she was amazing. She brought so many resources and the project, great people that worked for free on the project that helped to tell the story about Margaret Knight and all that stuff. But like, you know, I think for her, she was working with this guy and I was working with this guy and now we were kind of locked in together. And that was a lot of fear. And then the dream, I think, was, you know, if we're talking about faith, that dream is something she already had months ago that even though she wasn't always consciously thinking about it, it was tethering her to get through the experience, which ended up being um, a good experience uh, hmm. for both of us eventually. Hmm. Now, you know, and she's awesome. Uh, she's an awesome person. But that, I feel like, is a good example of, like, a prophetic dream of someone yeah. dreaming something and it comes true and then also has deep um, symbolism to keep going. Right. Yeah. Especially since it's... You have the dream and it's vivid and you remember it, but it's so abstract when you have it that you can't Fully. imagine like how it could possibly have any meaning until something. Until your mutual fits. friend jumps in the literal pool, right. gets sent away, and then you're verbally sparring with this person that does make you better. Right. But in the dream, it's martial arts because how do you 
Well, it's so interesting yeah. that it was martial arts too, because I mean, I'm like complete beginner at martial arts, but like I can, I'm beginning to understand that there are a lot of like life lessons and things that come from martial arts training. And it's not just like training on the mat, but it's like training your mind as well. So that's so interesting that it was martial arts specifically, not like fencing or something. And then also um, the pool. And also the like, what conflict makes you better? Martial arts is the one of the few conflicts that we can, if we're attaching ourselves to something physical, that's conflict that people can understand that makes you better, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a conflict about violence. It's a conflict about... Yeah. It can be. Obviously, martial arts can be violent, but it's not, right? Well, 100%, because why is it called art then, right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole other component to it. So that, yeah, that's a prophetic dream. Um mm. That she had, but I felt safer talking about that because it like directly was like, oh, that thing really did happen. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I mean, it's related to you as well. And it is related to me, yeah, yeah. And wow. um, she's an amazing person. Mm. Um, That's so honestly, she should be the person to talk to about faith. Her faith is like way better than mine. Mm. Oh man, she's also really badass. She's uh, done, she just, besides hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, she did these like running where she like ran like right before we filmed Lady S and she ran on a race that's supposed to be a 50 mile race in the mountains but in the she got off course and did a 65 mile race oh my gosh at night <laughs> so she barely walked before the movie which is also like one of the things that she was scared because she didn't know anything about me and now the cat half the casting wasn't done before she went on this race and i just did it and then she came back and she was afraid that she was going to walk into the nightmare and then it wasn't and she said to me after we filmed it she goes that was one of the smoothest sets i've ever worked on in my life wow and i was like and for me, I went to Florida State, so I'm like, yeah, I know. But you also have to remember, like, people don't know you, right? Yeah. Like, you have to, you have to, like, you know, if you're this person and the movie kept getting bigger and bigger on her, that was scary. But then the fact that it was fine, that's a faith act on her part, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. the fact that she could come back from this gigantic race and then we go make a movie and then it was fine and and she was worried because we brought this dp from la and she was really scared about that because obviously there were a lot of mean la people and i was nervous about the dp which they interpreted as like a negative about the dp but i was like no like i'm intimidated by that dp because i respect her so much and if you know me there's very few people that make me feel intimidated because I I don't know what it is, but if I think someone's so great that it made me nervous, that's such a rare feeling for me. Mm-hmm. So then we had to parse out what that was, and then like anyway, the DP came, did such a great job, and her team, who she was so worried would feel alienated and miserable, they actually said to her like, "No, this person's amazing, and I would follow them anywhere." Wow! Because someone who's that good intimidates me, right? Yeah, someone who's yeah. that good at their job. Um, Shout out to Beth Napoli. Um, she is so good at being a DP. She's so organized. She's so thoughtful. She's so calm. She's like so professional. It's intimidating, you know? But then people like, obviously when they experience that kind of leader, even though she's a very quiet leader, that's the kind of person you want to work with all the time, mm-hmm. you know? So it ended up being fine. It ended up being a good experience. And like, um, and uh, there, you know, I'm not gonna go too like, oh, my movie's great. Um, it's more just like that was a prophetic dream that affected me, and like, in a sense that that was what carried her into something that was scary, which is working for free on this short film, right? With this person she doesn't know, which easily could be an exploitative, terrible environment, yeah, and potentially you could burn her relationships. But anyone, 
everyone was just fine. Even though they gave to this project and did all this stuff for the project, everyone left feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and she's moved on to other things and other aspects of her life. I'm curious to know what she's going to do now that her uh, gigantic Pacific Crest Trail hike is over. But, you know. <laughs> well, you should follow up with her. You should, I should definitely follow up with her. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have Three years later, I have a baby. We're both married. We decided to do the crush show. Uh, Big life events. I'm um, glad I had a baby, but hey, that would be cool. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, well, the <laughs> that's interesting because the type of faith that um, that you touched on there in that story um, is, I think, the type of faith that I just have the most experience with, which essentially just boils down to just like trust and hope that things are going to work out for the best. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's, I guess that's sort of just my understanding of it. And that's been my experience, but yeah, definitely with uh, things like indie short films, you just really have to go into them like wisely. First of all, Um, like probably not a good idea to get involved with one if you don't, have a strong attachment to at least like somebody in it already but then also while you're in it or if you're the one sort of propelling the project like you were on lady edison just knowing that you have the skills enough and the resources enough um and that your crew do as well um to make the project happen and that it's a project that's worth you know putting together and making come alive. Um, but that brings us to, um, faith just as, uh, an exemplar of trust. Well, I would say I agree with you, but I think for her, I want to go back to that. Mm. She had a dream that gave her the confidence, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a deeply symbolic prophetic dream that gave her the confidence. So I do think it's like this connection to this. She would say it's a God thing. Right? Mm-hmm. And God led her to this experience. Um, you know, but I wouldn't, you know, for me, Leia's, and I don't know how I did feel like it came together in a way that felt special. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uniquely great, um, when, especially during the production. Um, not necessarily post is more stressful, but, uh, like I do know what you mean. There's like, I hope it works out for the best, but I think it's more than that. It's this connection to the, maybe if you don't want to think of it as a God way, it's connection to the universe. Right. Um, but for her, she felt like God uniquely blessed her with that dream to give her the courage and the strength to go through with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I think there's a like, there are a lot of people that I can share what they, you know, you have to say, like, that's what they say their experience is. That one I can say with more verifiable truth. Like, she had a dream about a pool and then he jumped in the pool, right? Yeah, like, right, right. You know, but like, there are other people that tell me like crazy things that they have thought about and prayed about and I came through and you're like, what? But that, like, I think it's more than just hoping for the best. I think it's more like this connection to God, but not everything is revealed. And does that mean, like, when you have that connection, when it's a strong connection, does that mean going about sort of, like, no worries, everything's fine, like, laissez-faire? Or does that mean you still have agency and intention? 
Well, you always have agency, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Like, so I'll give you another example of, like, so when I first started talking to my husband, um, we were talking on Bumble, not chess.com. Sorry, no one's family. Um, and uh, <laughs> if they listen to this, they'll just have three of us. Um, so <laughs> I was uncertain about Naman. I asked him about, you know, the range marriage culture. And Naman's like an engineer. And so sometimes he's just so, like, answers your question with this, like, super honesty versus, like, no filter no like uh yeah pulling the romantic out you've met my husband several times you understand what i mean i have um, met on and he's actually like he can like i remember when we were talking about your sister actually in england she's like he sounds nice and mean i really don't understand and she met him she's like oh i get it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, um yeah so he was telling me he got like 25 marriage offers and i was like oh god that freaked me out so i matched him and uh and then i went about, about my day and I just had this feeling the whole day that I made this gigantic mistake. Um, and then it was just like, oh, gosh. But on paper, why? what would I do about it? I match this person. It's over. You know, like whatever. But I just feel like, no, I must do something about it. So I told my really good friend from high school who just moved to Atlanta. And we were drinking wine on the porch. So we found, we decided to find Naman on the internet. And all we knew was his name and that he went to Auburn University. We didn't know his last name. We didn't know anything else. We found him on both Facebook and LinkedIn, but it was confusing because they had different last names because Naman's complicated. Anyway. Oh, so on Bumble, when you unmatch people, they're like gone? They're gone. Oh. Gone, gone. Dunsey's gone. And oh, wow. So we were going, we found him on LinkedIn and I was going to write this overly honest message in my friend when he was like, that sounds very J. It sounds very J. And uh, my friend's like, no, you can't write that. Are you crazy? <laughs> so she wrote this message that was like, actually unmatchable. It was not as white lie, which is still causing me problems with my marriage. Cause I'm like, I don't lie. And he's like, yes, you did. You started a marriage. Oh lie. no. <laughs> and, and it's then got a little leverage. It, it is, but this is what's so funny about it. I was so nervous that when she wrote out the message, she wrote hi XX and I copied it over, but I wrote hi Naman and I didn't delete the hi XX. And I, Oh, like little kisses. <laughs> well, like more like, like yeah, this is even, a filler. I know the filler. Yeah. yeah the filler. And then but it looked like that. But the irony is that's what caught Naman's eye was the XXX, which I didn't even notice until over a year after dating, he pointed out to me and which is embarrassing still like, and then we started talking and even then, I wasn't, like, sure about him as a person uh, because he just came off as, like, just an arrogant guy sometimes. I like, didn't really understand him. Um, one of my friends will later describe Naman as, like, a really intense puppy who, like, <laughs> gets in your face but is so loving. You're like, okay, I got you. Like, mm-hmm. um, And so I remember going to church, and I was actually praying for an ex-boyfriend and <laughs> not my husband. And uh, to be um and i remember going to communion line and i remember thinking about the ex-boyfriend who had been praying about at that point for a very very long time and then the spiritual force energy the holy spirit directing my attention and then saying don't pray for this guy pray for this guy and Naman i had never met um and it was this thing of like okay so it was still like, I didn't think anything would work out between me and Nam. And I remember one time I was watching Game of Thrones 
the final season with my friend Claire and her friends. And then now I'm going to call on the WhatsApp or whatever. And Claire's like, you can tell him, you can call him back later. And I was like, ah, it's probably not going to work out. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, like, right, right. No confidence would work out. And then it really didn't, even though we still kind of hovered around each other because we were linked on Facebook and LinkedIn at this point because of this drama. Um, but then it wasn't until like I was carless one weekend and had to just stuck in my apartment, which I hardly ever happened to me in Atlanta. So being stuck in Atlanta, that car is the worst. Um, and then I was like, okay. And then he suggested we do like a Facebook chat or whatever it was. Cause we, I don't know if he didn't WhatsApp call me that time. He just called me maybe, but like, anyway, he, I saw him and if he looked like AC Slater, you know? Um, from, uh, you know, especially his hair and his beardless. And we just had a video and it was very clear on video. I finally figured out his personality, which was hard to do from just talking on the phone or just Yeah. Text. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay. And then two weeks on video, it was clear that we were going to start dating. And then we met for July weekend, three years ago, uh, spent a whole weekend together and, you know, it's just on from there. But... Uh, I feel like that's a good example of like feeling like this direction towards him. Now, when I say this story, you say, well, you have choice or agency. It's like, obviously I had agency. Like I didn't have to like go track some dude on the internet because I felt like God told me right. this was a mistake. Right. And of course I'm not going to tell him. I did tell him after a day, like, yeah, I felt like God did this and this. And I don't know, he always just jokes about it. Like, I don't know if he can thinks I'm crazy or he's just like doesn't know how to process it or just like whatever. Um but like that feeling like I didn't have to go track him down the internet. That's fucking crazy. But I trusted <laughs> God enough to know that it would be fine. Uh-huh. And then I didn't have to date him after these conversations weren't working or these internet conversations weren't going anywhere. But then when God told me, I want you to pray for this person, not that person then it was kind of like I felt like, okay, God's leading me to this person. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, when we dated that there, that dictated every aspect of our relationship or mm-hmm. every choice in that relationship. Um, but it made me feel good about being in the relationship in the first place. Um, and there were times where we, you know, six months into the relationship, he graduated from grad school. And we were kind of like, okay you need to get a job. Like, are we partying at this point? Like there were a few days where it was very unclear and that was very hard, but I felt like this overall feeling of like, well, I'm really glad I dated this person to have that experience. And, and then we yeah, obviously get married and had a kid, but like, you know, it's funny because like you look at, we're looking at our, my daughter wearing her little Gryffindor onesie, which we, you and I bought in England. And she heard her name and started kicking yeah. and opened her eyes. So cute. And she's sucking on her obby. And you think, like, really how we got here is because I was, um, you know, walking from Starbucks, the Gumberland Mall, thinking that was a mistake and I need to do something about it. So I did have complete agency because it had, I, I didn't have to do that. It sounded crazy to follow that, but I did it anyway. But had I not done that, so I wouldn't be looking out of my baby right now. Yeah, that's, that's a crazy thought. <laughs> that is, yeah, but that's agency. And so yeah. you always have agency, even when you have the prophetic dream, even when you have the spiritual energy telling mm-hmm. you a path to take, you don't have to take it. Mm-hmm. And 
the agency always goes from like, uh, do you trust that like you do need to give to the poor, to tithe, to pray for an, your enemy, to repent? Do you trust in these practices that you have complete agency about whether or not you? Right, right. You know? Yeah. And I, I guess I, the message or the image or vision, whatever you want to call it, is one thing. But then the acting on it with the intention is all up to the receiver of the message. And Marie Twain didn't have to pursue the movie. And probably at times Billy didn't want to. And that's also an interesting thing about faith is God will tell you to do things. You're like, this makes no sense. But because you asked me to do it, I'll do it. Mm. And sometimes you're like, fuck you, God. I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, I'm <laughs> Next go, suggestion, please. I, I'm Jonah. I'm going to Tarshish. You're not Nineveh. Be a see ya. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Um, well, while we're sitting here watching Auburn play, um, I wanted to ask you how being a new mother has either evolve change tested whatever the right verb is um your faith and also if you have noticed that your faith or your relationship with it has changed with your the different roles that you have walked in in your life so now you're new mom um but you know you're a student you're also a teacher um um, interesting. I think there's always when there's a major change, the temptation to lead in or lead out when it comes to your faith. Like, mm. you know, you were talking about agency just a second ago. And with every role, um, like you kind of try to find a way to invite your faith back in. Um, with me becoming a professor, I think when I got the cool tenure track job, I think like there's, you know, I really wanted, I really prayed for it. And then I even told God, I'm probably going to at some point take credit for this, but you please give it to me anyway. Because it was a pandemic and it was like um, a good job in a bad time. And even then I kind of got arrogance about it. And then there are times where I've even had to rely on my faith, especially when thinking of students. Um, I think I told you, like I was in Sedona with my husband on our baby mood slash film festival. And I think when you're a teacher, you kind of have this feeling of like, I need to make sure that I make every student a great filmmaker, which is, I felt like at the time God being like, no, you don't need to worry about that. You need to worry about your personal relationship with them mm-hmm. as human beings. And I think that was good advice from God <laughs> too, because you can get really obsessed with like the role of this new thing and becomes bigger than it's supposed to be, right? I think it's really easy when you're a professor, you have influence over someone's career to take arrogance in it versus thinking it as a relationship with this person. Um, Now, with a child, um, I don't know a lot. I've only had four months and a week or two. Like, she'll be, she's born May 13th, so she'll be four months, September 13th. Um, And it's, like in terms of her and Faith, like it's definitely a, a huge thing to have a kid. And it's my age, because I'm in my late thirties. I found a lot of people want this thing. And so you kind of have to process like you have this thing that other people want. But having a kid's really hard. Even with a daughter that is super chill, 
like mine, um, it's still a huge, hard thing. And so I don't know. For me, I think if I am the faith is I struggle sometimes with just the abject terror of having a daughter, especially in a world that's so fucked up. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I just, just I'm asking God to help me because obviously, like, Every time, like, I, I, it's hard for me to listen to true crime podcasts anymore because they're always like the victim's a woman, not always, like, you know, but most of the time. So then you think about it like, oh, God, Oof. have mercy on me. I'm so scared for my child all the time. And, and, and like, not like in that we don't live in a safe neighborhood or we have any real threats, but it's hard to listen to any news story and think, my God, like, that's someone's kid. And I've never felt that way before. And so then you kind of just have this thing of like, oh, like, obviously you don't want anything bad having your own kid. And then you just are kind of like, okay, God, help me. Um, Obviously, you're praying that nothing bad happens to your kid. But you're also kind of like, how can you live if something does happen to your kid? Because now that you have a kid, your heart is just outside your body now. And it's not that I don't love other people tremendously, like, but I found that, like, you know, when you're a kid and you love your parents, your parents, you it's a need love to your parents. You're so dependent upon your parents. It's first survival. So if anything happened to them, it would impact you because they're your development, right? And then when you have your siblings, those are formational relationships. But once you grow up, you don't really have formational relationships in the same way because even the lovers that you have or the best friends that you have, they're not as formational as your immediate family. Um, But then you have a kid and then you're all of a sudden vulnerable again, as if you are a kid, even though you're not, you're the one in charge because you're in this formational thing because it's like the first time since you're, you're, you yourself were a child that you were like, Oh my God, like I could break open in two if anything happened to this kid in a way that when you're a kid, if anything happened to your me family, you could break open in two. So then you say, okay, God, like, all right, help me. And then the good thing about it though is what I, I do have college students and I haven't talked to too many of them before. I, you know, since I had a baby, but before when I saw the college students, just kind of saw them as like people that like, you know, you need to usher through to the career and you're also the gatekeeper to the profession and the profession was high on the list or training them was high on the list. And then sometimes the nice thing about having a kid, you're like, oh, there's someone's kid. And the parent is looking at the whole picture of this person's life, you know, and then you have more empathy for people in a bigger way are more common with strangers because even if you have nothing in common with them, you still have kids and they have kids and then you're like, okay, that's a huge thing. It's a huge life-changing thing to have a kid. Whereas when I was never had kids, I didn't really think about it. It was just like a data point about someone. Probably the most I ever thought about it was our friend Latoya uh, mm-hmm. work because she, you know, was the only one that had kids. <laughs> and also she breast, she pumped at work and it was like, oh, okay. And then she couldn't hang out with us all the time because she had kids, you know? Um, but like generally when you don't have kids, you don't really think about kids or your friends, kids. You're just going to... Right. Right. That's so interesting. 
Um, Look at her lounging out like she's at the beach. Oh, my gosh. She is, like, <laughs> spread out so comfy. Oh, my gosh. That'll be... <laughs> that'll be me tonight <laughs> um a little i think at the beginning of our conversation you mentioned uh stepping into a church and describing it as uh, the thin place oh yeah yeah and we don't have to talk too much about it but i was wondering um as soon as you said that i've never heard that phrase before so i was wondering if you could sort of elaborate a little bit on that because where my mind went first is um if you've read or seen any of the adaptations of the historic materials trilogy um like golden compass and subtle knife all those that is they don't phrase it as that the thin place but there's definitely a lot of like um like universe crossing and it has to do a lot with um like, I guess, spirituality and realism. Um, so anyway, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about what The Thin Place felt like to you. It's like this feeling that heaven is actually real. Yeah. And that God is real. And it's not this abstract concept. And it's this feeling of... Um, there's a lot of Christian concepts here that might help give framework um, there's this idea like there's the Lord's Prayer I think you've heard of it like, mm-hmm. everyone's heard of the Lord's Prayer one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer goes like um, you know to do God's will and then most people think of that as like well just do these rules but there are times where you think like what would happen if we just lived in this perfect union with love and light? And then that's really what that idea is based on in your church and try to capture that. But imagine that on blast and that love and light are not just a feeling, but almost like a reality. And Maybe it is an alternate universe. I don't know. But that reality that God is real and the love and light is real and feeling it in the air, like even though you can't see it, you feel it. Like as if all of a sudden a wind comes in and you're feeling the new air in the experience. You're feeling so connected to the people around you. Um, one of the things that people have said in the near-death experiences is they went and they like met these people in them and they knew everything the other person had ever done. And imagine like being so connected to the person in front of you that you felt like you could feel their whole being, their soul, their journey, the things that matter to them, and just having this like matrix-like download of this other person. And and then like unbelievable vulnerable love for for other people that we can't live in in the world that we live in because it's too too crazy this world is too hard but if we did live in if that love you know like if that was possible to love everyone around you with such passionate intensity 
that you would care about their life and their joys and their day. Right? Everyone. And I think the only, I don't even know if I always care about my husband's day. And not because I don't love my husband, but because it's like, how do you do that all day long? You know? But then the feeling that it's possible and that there is an environment where you can love like that and be loved like that. And heaven would just be perfect love all the time. And then you understand, like, why the Bible talks about these concepts of sin. And you're like, well, sin's fun. Why are the Bible so lame? No, it's like, no, but like what it is, is you're not loving something with the perfect way of it. And that's what sin is, not living in perfect love. But that not just being an abstract concept, but then you feel it. You're like, no, there is a place. There is this universe. I swear there are people, things are loved perfectly. And nothing about the place that we are in now is like that. But it exists and it permeates in our world, but it isn't in this world and fully. And it was funny, like, uh, I think uh, Olivia Newton-John passed away recently. And I read an article about her talking about death and how we live most of our lives in denial of it. But she wasn't afraid of it because her husband had a near-death experience in which that he basically felt love that would never make you want to go back to this earth. Um, and that would be within places like that, except instead of having it in a dream or having a near-death experience, you can walk in the church and look in a stained glass window and then boom, you're there. Mm. My baby's growing home. Well, that's a really beautiful sentiment and imagery. And I hope that we can all, I don't know, aspire to let more love in through our stained glass windows of light. Um, Why is faith important to humans, to people? Oh, I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, Well, I think you can talk about religion and about faith and they're separate. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go quote some Brett Weinstein that religion helps people in the next stage of evolution. Um, I think that if we're talking about religion and why people hold on to religion, um, you can look at it from this, like, I've heard these atheists speak of it, which is a fair cynical point of like, religion is crazy. It's basically people who say Santa Claus is real go to war with people who say the Easter Bunny is real and it's psychotic, right? And then that there's valuable critique in that. But religion gives people narrative and story of, I don't think you can be told morals. And I think people learn morals best in story. And if they think the stories are true, then they internalize these morals. Obviously not every, I wouldn't, name any religion right now, but I would say not every religion tells good moral stories. But um, I think in general, that's why people want religion because it's so endemic to culture. So it's not really that people, I would kind of argue and say, it's not really the people who believe Easter Bunny is real fight the people who believe Santa Claus is real. And it's more just these beliefs are layered upon identity and faith and whatever. And and I also think humans will fight with each other whether or not religion's involved anyway. But 
I think that's why religion is important because it's a set of rules, it's a set of culture, it's a set of things. And human beings seem to need these things to explain life, to give them order and purpose. Mm. Right. And that's different than faith. Um, so religion, which is some people say is faith, but it's really not, helps people in society's form, culture form, and takes humans away from just being animals. Mm. Others would say it limits people from loving. And there's a fair argument from that too. But how would you even know why love's important? You know, you've all have already talked, made fun of secular rights and said, you know, there's no covenant human being. There's no law that says rights exist, morals exist. So how do you explain this, right? So God comes in and saying, well, no, there's this higher thing that gives you this thing that explains it. Um, now, in terms of faith and why people need faith, um, I think faith is beyond religion. Um, and faith is everything that carries people into what's hard. Like, how do you actually get through the existence of being a human? Like, in the scariness of being a human and, you know, the profundity of being a human and the raw suffering that comes with being a human. And, like, faith holds people, their soul together. Because you know what? What do you do when... Like, you know, there are things that tie us together. Our jobs, our friends, our family, our community. Um, but really, the only thing, if you took all that away, that people have that keeps them together and keeps them functional, maybe functional is the wrong word, but keeps them intact, integral, maybe integral is the right word, um, I think is their faith. And it's also why some people who have everything on the outside just are rotten and miserable inside because they don't have anything that keeps them holistically together. Mm. It's also why you can, and it is possible, to find the people that seem to have everything taken away from them have this peace inside of them that's unexplainable. And to me, that's faith. So why do we need faith? Well, we need faith to be the most human in a good way, not the fear and pride human, but the love human. And then we need that beyond any other form of written faith, beyond any other form of religion. And I think it's integral to everything else. Hmm. Auburn agrees. <laughs> um, yeah, it's beautiful thinking about it as like... um an intrinsic sort of heartbeat or pulse to keep us going and to spread love anywhere that we can. How would you encourage uh, people to spend, spread a little bit more of their own love to people in their day-to-day -day lives if it's not something that they're accustomed to? Well, I think if you are of a particular faith, that's the easiest way because then you can lean into maybe your text of your faith to you know go forward um and you can always meditate you can always go out in nature um 
I think it's always taking the time to get centered. You know, for me, part of getting centered is I told my husband about this because I was feeling out of sorts. And I said, you know, I'm feeling out of sorts. I'm really sorry. But one of the things, and when you are out of sorts, you aren't your best self yourself and you say things you don't mean and you hurt other people's feelings. And I said, the thing I need usually get centered, I'm not having right now, but going to church is a huge thing that gets me centered. Um, hiking is a huge mm-hmm. thing that I get centered. Swimming. Um, and then, you know, seeing my friends. Um, I think that, I mean, maybe you're not a religious person, you don't have religion to fall back down, but what gives you that joy? Right? I would say all art gives me that joy. There's some art that's really like, Fargo's pretty fucked up. Love it. Great job. <laughs> but I feel kind of gross and dark after I see it. Still mm-hmm. addicted to it. So good. Same thing with mm-hmm. Breaking Bad. I feel like my soul is going through it too when I watch Breaking Bad. So Breaking Bad would not be a show I recommend if you wouldn't find that. <laughs> but like, there is something out there, right? There are those books and movies that get us to that place. And for you, it's a movie I hope we get to watch soon together. Mm-hmm. Um, everything all at once. Um, I think gets you to that place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, you know, I try to do those things. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, are there any books or movies or anything aside from Breaking Bad <laughs> that you wouldn't recommend um, <laughs> that you actually would recommend to people to either, I guess, to either encourage more just like that warmth or that loving feeling or if people were interested in exploring faith? Um, the, the thing that came to mind, uh, actually in both categories, is C.S. Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. I think that he explains the Christian faith in the most beautiful and profound way. Like the great divorce. Um, and the idea is that how he explains, you know, the great divorce is this guy that is on this bus to heaven, but, you know, you see all hell and all this stuff. And then when he escapes hell, hell is so tiny. It's like microscopic. And the people in hell are people that wouldn't even know that they needed grace. And then you get grace and then you go to heaven. It's so expansive and so wide. And the idea that we're made for so much more, like C.S. Lewis talks about, like, we are people that could have a day at sea, but sometimes we're children that would settle for um, playing with mud in the backyard. That we, our desires are not too great, but actually too weak. Um, and also, like, Till We Have Faces. When Till We Have Faces is a book that he wrote that's like a novel that's ta- reinventing the Cuban psyche myth. Um, but there's a scene where one of the main characters meets the gods. And the idea that gods are real. And there's this idea, it's called Till We Have Faces, because it's from this idea that from Paul talks about in one of his letters, that you we look through a glass darkly. But the idea is we wouldn't even know ourselves until we are revealed at the like in heaven of who we actually are. Um, because we see ourselves in a glass darkly. Um I think C.S. Lewis sparks the imagination and the passion of what these things would be. Um, that can give you a taste of what the magic of faith could feel like. Um, and then that would help if someone is actually interested in Christianity as a particular faith. Um, but if we're talking about like more secular routes of things, um, 
I think like it depends on like a more of like a vibe of what you want. Like Coda recently, um, it's that movie where it's the woman who loves singing, but her family's death. I think that shows you, you know, vibes of things of love, right? Like that's family love. And, um, you know, I think parts of Call Me By Your Name just show beauty of heartbreaking romantic love. Like, but I mean, I, if we're talking about Faith Faith, I feel like just go see us, Lewis. Um, he's the best. And making it just imaginative and creative and amazing. Hmm, Beautiful. Well, where can people go to show their faith in you? I don't know what that means. How can you plug yourself? You want me to plug myself? Yeah. Or is there anywhere that you would, anything that you would like to advertise by yourself or like to showcase? Like if I had an Instagram, is this that moment? Yeah, this is that moment. (laughs) I actually don't have an Instagram. Um, I have a terrible social media addiction to Facebook and I don't want to extend it to Twitter. Sure, sure. Refuse to get on them. And also TikTok seems to be crack. So I refuse to get on TikTok. Yeah, I think that's probably a good decision for you. For me. You know me well enough to know. Um, so, I mean, if you want to find me on Facebook, a chat, um, hey, Sarah Davidson, just met, maybe like say your Sarah Eisen's friend or whatever before. I'm like, who's this random? Trying to talk to me. Um, but can people, um, like go watch any of your Are you trying projects to play the Lady anywhere? If you want to. Um, I will, you can watch the Lady S on YouTube. I don't know if it has anything to do with Faith, but, um, you can. <laughs> it's available. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um Auburn is no drunk. Yeah, she really is. Oh well that seems like a good place to milk drunk seems like a good place to wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> and see. Uh thanks for letting me into your space and thanks for chatting. It's always good to um to to be with you in person even though we chat on the on the phone quite a bit always better in person yeah yeah (laughs) all right bye listeners baby honestly tonight bye welcome back friends that was returning guest jay davidson with cameos from sweet baby auburn after we wrapped this podcast there was an impromptu book club session with auburn and myself and i can assure you that i read her all of my favorite books that jay had on hand including harold and the purple crown additionally i did happen to find a penny and there was a very sweet cat that i played with in the parking lot when I was on my way home. Objectively, that means nothing, but I did choose to take them as signs of encouragement. In lieu of any children's books, stray cats, or abandoned pennies, I might encourage you to perhaps go find a thin place or believe one into existence. Even though I'm not really in the religious circles, I definitely feel inspired and moved whenever I hear a good piece of spiritual music or honestly just see some really cool stained glass. It uh, it, it starts to take me there. So, Maybe just go look at some of that or make some if you have those tools. I would very much like to try that one day. If you enjoyed this episode with Jay, then you are in luck because there actually is another episode featuring Jay. Lucky number seven. It is season one, episode seven, growth. 
So go check that out. And if you'd like to hear a funny little anecdote about Jay, you can actually check out the episode right before this one, episode 2.6, Shame, which features Jay's friend and now my friend too, Tova, who graciously shares a funny little story about she, Jay, and I at the beginning of her episode. You can also read a little bit more about Jay on both the Faith and Growth episodes Substacks and follow along on the Let Me Play Quest on Substack, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you would like to exhibit your faithful listening to the podcast, rate and review on whichever streaming platform you so choose. Next week, we'll be back with a new word and a new friend, and it will be our penultimate episode for season two. But until then, thanks for playing.